Welcome to the Art Within podcast, hosted by filmmakers Houston Coley and Nate Shepard. This is season one, cultivating community in the digital era. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Art Within podcast. I am Nate, and I'm here with my co-host, Houston. Hey. And uh, yeah, we are really excited to uh, talk today a little bit about something that uh, we spend a lot of time talking and thinking about. Uh, the, uh, I like to call it the power of proximity, or you know, I know we spend a lot of time talking about just the value of walkability. So when towns or cities or you know, the way that we build our... Uh, urban landscapes. There's sort of a, a grading, uh, a scale of how walkable uh, different communities are. And I think is somewhat of a lament for those of us who live in America and have spent some time in Europe and other places where uh, they built those towns before cars really existed. And so there's a, a, a different mentality or a different necessity to how those things are built. And so we're going to explore a little bit about that. You know, what what uh, what does it mean to have walkable community? How does that impact and allow us to to build our communities and to be in relationship to each other? And so uh, I'm, I'm very eager to get into that. But before we do that, I know, Houston, you've been kind of hopping around a little bit. And uh, I actually don't know, uh, you told me to wait until the we hit record because you wanted to tell me live on the podcast uh, what your uh, current <laughs> living situation is. is. I know, it is more dramatic. But what your current living situation is, because I know that's been a big uh, struggle and pain point in sort of figuring out, you know, currently in Nashville where walkability is not on the top of the list of things for the, mm. for the city there. And so uh, just tell me what's going on, uh, going on with you. Yeah, well, it's interesting... I felt like in the, these last couple of weeks, as Debbie and I have been trying to figure out whether we would stay in Nashville or go back to Atlanta, we've kind of been living out a bunch of the ideas of this podcast and also our Labrie documentary, like like kind of trying to figure out what those things look like in the real world in real time. And I mean, that's, I feel like we're always doing that to some extent, but, but this has really brought it into clearer contrast in a lot of ways. Um, one of the things that has deterred us about Nashville a lot is that it is so car dependent. It is not a walkable place. <laughs> and I think everyone here knows that. We've talked to numerous people who are like, yeah, I, I am here for the people. I'm here for the community. I think this city has a unique kind of small town vibe almost. Uh, I think Andrew Peterson called it the the biggest small town in the world or something like that. And I'm, I'm sure other people have said that too. And I've, I have found that to be true. We have found that to be true as we've been here. On the other hand, it's also an incredibly sprawling place. It takes like 20 to 30 minutes to get anywhere. And that has been a huge thing that has deterred me, but also especially my wife, Debbie, because she's from Europe and is not used to driving this much in general. Um, and then we went back and visited Atlanta a few weeks ago and we were like, oh, like this is, I, I, I kind of thought, well, all, all American cities are roughly the same. Like, uh, you know, America is about equally not walkable wherever you are. <laughs> but then we went back to Atlanta and I was like, oh, Atlanta actually is more walkable than Nashville in some ways, at least the part of Atlanta that my kind of family and friends are around is actually a more urban area and kind of close to a city square that we're often spending time at and walking around and that sort of thing. And so that was a big part of our thought process was like, okay, what, what would be a, a walkable place to live? Like that's actually a big, mm. a big part of uh, what we're thinking about. But on the other hand, community was a big part of what we were thinking about. Like what, you know, what place are we going to find the most connection with people who maybe share some of our passion for art and passion for having conversations about some of these things? And it did seem like Nashville was that place. And 
So we were kind of like, I, we don't know if we want to spend our whole lives in Nashville. And I think especially if we were raising kids, I would love to be in a more walkable place. But right now, we also kind of felt that we wanted to be around Nashville because we've, we've really loved the people so dearly mm-hmm. and um, ha- have felt like there's more to be done here, more to be experienced here. So we ultimately decided to stay here in Nashville. But the big kind of deciding factor on that was that we met someone who was kind enough, actually Doug McKelvey, who is the author of Every Moment Holy. He owns a house that is at the base of the hill of the Rabbit Room, which is the place that we've been working these past few months. And so it's like a house in the neighborhood outside this other house that's a farmhouse that's also an office space that we've been working at. (laughs) Too much to go into there. But basically it means that we can walk to work in about two minutes. And so it's literally right around the corner from where we work. There's also a lovely greenway here that kind of is a path through the forest that, that Debbie was excited to walk on. And so it's not like, again... There is no useful walk in the sense of like, we can't walk to the store, we can't walk to the, you know, to the movie theater, we can't walk to, you know, a restaurant or anything like that, but we can at least walk to work and there's several other people who live and work in this area who are around here that we we are going to be in proximity to that we can sort of be able to maybe see in their yards as we're walking to work and that sort of thing. And so that was kind of the deciding factor for us was like, oh, this is such a gift. And we're probably not going to be here long term either. We have this place for maybe the next three months or so. Um, But it was meaningful to know that we could stick around in Nashville and be somewhere that we could actually be able to walk to work and be around other people within our physical proximity. And so, yeah, that kind of plays into a lot of what I think we wanted to explore in this episode because that has become – something that Debbie and I are really passionate about. And I think you are really passionate about and something that like, I don't think I would have articulated as something I was passionate about until these recent years of kind of having been to Europe and and different things like that. I, I think I always, I think almost all Americans do really want walkable cities and do really want to be able to walk places. And I think we can get into that more later, but I don't think that they know how to articulate it until they've kind of tasted the alternative and realized, oh, like this kind of car dependent world is the water that we're swimming in and it doesn't have to be this way. So yeah, anyway, uh, that's my little ramble at the start, but I thought we should go into the discussion question a bit and all that. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah, I was just talking with a friend who, who just went to Germany for the first time and I think had a very similar experience of like, wow, you can literally walk from one town to the next. This is crazy, you know? Um, Mm. And I think for, you know, again, for a lot of Americans, we are so accustomed to uh, car dependence that that the idea of a walkable community is is not even in the mindset. But I agree. I think there's there's multiple components. Before we get into the discussion question, I want to just like address like, okay, walkability. It's this buzzword. It's this kind of like, okay, we get it. You don't like cars. What's your big problem? And so I, I think maybe it's worth just exploring briefly the idea of walkability and why we see it as valuable. Um, and I think the in my mind, there's two main components of what uh, of why walkability is valuable. I bet I'll add um, like ten other components. And you'll have ten more, but it's <laughs> I mean these are high level ideas. One is access to the people you live with more mm. regularly in a more organic way. So running into people in the grocery store, you know, having those brief conversations uh, that when you're constantly in your car, there's not necessarily someone else 
to engage with, at least not in a organic sort of, oh, hey, I just, you know, we ran into each other kind of thing. And we can talk a little bit later about how that, I think, is a core aspect of how we facilitate community. Um, so it's access to people, but also access to the land, access to the places that we live in. Because um, mm -hmm. I know when what was really impactful for me and kind of started to change my mind and, and give me an imagination for this idea of walkability was the English footpath system. So when you go over to England, you know, again, both you and I, Houston, have had a, a decent amount of experience in England, specifically at uh, the Labrador. Uh, retreat uh, center in uh, southern England. And what's beautiful about it is you, you stay in this beautiful 300-year-old manor house. So that in and of itself is just a treat. Um, and there's lots of history and interesting things right around there. But it's connected to this, th there's basically this, this massive network of footpaths that spread all over the English countryside. That's a holdover, I think, from back when there were lords who owned land and the peasants needed to get to the land. And so the king was like, all right, here's public walking paths that no landowner can like close off so that the peasants can, can mm -hmm. get to the fields. And that law still exists today. So you can literally walk anywhere you want in the English countryside on private land in cow pastures and on you know hills and to, to these random pubs that are dotted all over the landscape. <laughs> um, and it's just like this you know this beautiful landscape to explore. Yeah. And that's something that uh, certainly, you know I live in northern Wisconsin, um, and I often joke about this, but it's not really a joke. It's like if you tried anything like that in our area, you would definitely be facing the barrel of a shotgun or something. You know there's <laughs> very territorial mentality. And from what I understand, I think there are people in England that are probably also territorial about. It's not necessarily a cultural attitude, but it is a legal reality that, these paths just exist. And so we don't really have, we have, we have snowmobile trails, which kind of mirror that a little bit, but any landowner could just be like, I don't want a snowmobile trail here. So they'll just close it off. And then you have to do all this creative rerouting. But basically it's just a long way of saying that, that we don't have access to the land in the places that we live. I'm fortunate enough to live in an area where access to land is a high priority for everyone. It doesn't matter where you are politically or what your beliefs are. Everybody lives here because we love the land. And so there actually is quite a bit of access to natural forests and you know campgrounds and things like that but there's been a number of places I've lived where you drive by a place and you're like wow that looks really cool uh, I don't even know how to get there and it's probably privately owned and so I'm not allowed to be there <laughs> mm. and so again I think the value of walkability it's not saying that cars are inherently evil but it is saying that the car kind of withdraws us from the natural overlap of other people in our communities and the land that we live on. And so that, at least to me, is a big reason why walkability matters and why we're talking about this at all. I don't know if you have more thoughts on that. Mm. I could add like 10 other reasons, as I said. Let me let me think <laughs> if I... Okay, uh, so car dependence promotes individualism, sort of having us in our bubble of just like my space. And I think once you sort of live in a more walkable society or a society with better public transit, you get to know your neighbors better and have a better sense of the community around you rather than just your own kind of private bubble. Cars re release emissions that are bad for the planet and everyone and the environment and also asthma and lots of other stuff. And more walkable societies tend to be healthier in that way. Also, third point, car-dependent societies tend to be more obese. And so if you live in a walkable society, you get more exercise on a daily basis and are thus more fit in a natural way. You don't, <laughs> that was something I watched a video about, uh, 
there, there's a channel called Not Just Bikes that is a wonderful, wonderful channel about, he's, he's from the suburbs of Canada, but then he moved to Amsterdam, and now he makes all of his videos kind of about comparing the way that the Netherlands have designed their kind of walkable, bikeable spaces compared to the suburbs of America and Canada. Uh, and he has a video about just the way that people in European countries, but especially the Netherlands, don't even have a concept of like needing to go to the gym because that's just a thing that like you get exercise as you're walking to places in normal life. And so you don't have to go to a place to go exercise. You just mm -hmm. get exercise as you're doing stuff. And, and that's another that plays into the thing that I mentioned before, which is this concept of the useful walk, which has been eradicated. There's there's a book by Jeff Speck called The Walkable City that is just also a really great accessible book about urbanization and, and walkability. And he talks about that idea that like, you know, 100 years ago, walking was mainly a thing that you would do out of necessity. Like you would walk to the store, you would walk to restaurants, you would walk to the pub. And so there was a usefulness to it. Like I'm, I'm walking to do a thing and not, you know, now we have a greenway outside of the place that we're living, which is lovely to be able to have a place to go and walk. But that is all you're doing is, is going and walking. right? And so now sort of walking has become the end in itself, which often Debbie has been very discouraged to find, you have to go drive drive somewhere to go walk somewhere, right? <laughs> which is even more demotivating. And so we've kind of eradicated the usefulness of a walk by not being able to to have anything at the end of the the tunnel, um, and, and that plays into all kinds of other kind of things about like mixed use zoning. You know, America, unlike Europe, America is divided into different. Um, quadrants basically like where where this is a zone that you can only build single family housing or this is a zone that you can only build commercial buildings and so usually the two don't overlap and they've kind of been segregated from each other which means that things aren't very walkable because all the stores are here and all of the you know suburban houses are here and so that's another sort of component of of walkability that that I think often gets overlooked but is kind of the invisible air that we're breathing uh, or the water that we're swimming in. Anyway, I, I lost my 10 reasons. I'm trying to think <laughs> if I have others, but we should just I'm keep sure. <laughs> I know. I'm sure you can, you'll have blog posts and things and uh, at some point you'll write a book and, and it'll all be out there. But uh, yeah, I think yeah. hopefully, hopefully uh, there's at least a little bit of a sense for those of, of you who are listening uh, of why it matters to us. And I realize that sometimes this kind of conversation can maybe feel a little... I don't want to say elitist, but a little bit of that like attitude of, oh, Europe has it better and we're terrible. And again, you know, I think we sometimes trend toward that, you and I, Houston. Yeah. Um, and so I do want to like make that caveat uh, on the podcast here that we are seeking to grow in our understanding in a more holistic way and not just say, well, Europe did everything right and America did everything wrong. It's like, obviously, it's not that simple. Yeah. Um, and in many ways, a lot of the work that uh, I've been doing and I think even your sort of search for a place to live is seeking to make, you know, it's like, I'm not going to move over to Europe. Uh, I'm actually going to seek to make my own mm. community that I'm in more walkable. And so, you know, we I've said this on the podcast before, but we moved to a different house that is just a little more centrally located. And so we can walk to the library and the coffee shop and, and all of that. Uh, and actually, we can walk to the movie theater. And so that's actually one of the first places I walked to is I went uh, with my neighbor, uh, who's, again, my neighbor, 
he literally lives mm. next door now, you know, who's, who's already a good friend before we moved into this neighborhood. Um, but we walked down to the theater to watch the latest Top Gun movie this past summer. <laughs> and it was just it was just so nice to be able to do that, you know. And so I, I think there there is this idea that I want to put out there of just I think we can reclaim aspects of this. There's some. Yes realities yeah. that we're going to run up against of just this is how our cities were built and it's hard to to bring that change um, but i'm aware there's actually a town uh maybe a half hour 45 minutes north of us where now granted there was m- somebody with a lot of money who wanted to see this happen but they worked really hard to develop like a, a intricate bike trail system to be able to be mm-hmm. like they, they wanted for you to be able to walk or bike everywhere within within mm-hmm. our town and so I think it, it is possible it is difficult but I think there are ways that you can cultivate these kinds of values and attitudes mm-hmm. um, and, and I think this will be a, a helpful point to kind of zoom out a little bit to talk about just more generally the power of proximity and the value of being near people in building community but before we get too much into that uh, I, it, we both had asked questions on social media just to you know, facilitate more uh, input on this conversation. And I think yours is more directly related to walkability and mine's more generally related to like Mm -hmm. proximity and community. Mm -hmm. So maybe before we shift into more of the sort of high level philosophical, if you want to just chat a little bit about your observations of the answers to your question. Yeah, it was... It was good stuff. I, I do think, yeah, you may have asked a little bit more of a philosophical version of the question. Mine was quite simple. I said, basically, what's the most walkable place you've ever lived? And did it lead to better relationship with your community? Most of the responses were just telling me the most walkable place they'd ever lived. Because <laughs> I think, especially on Twitter, you know, 240 characters or whatever is not enough enough time to, to talk about community in that deep way. But I did get some interesting responses. I got one that said from Space Cop, I literally live in an African village in Mozambique and the smallest of children walk around it freely because everyone knows slash is related to each other. And so they are always being watched by someone. I thought, man, that is like so different from America where you can get your, your a parent can get arrested for letting their child go on their own in some places. Um, several, there, yeah. There's a Netflix documentary too about uh, I forget. Is it Japanese children that go yes. on like yeah. three-year-olds that this go is one on of my favorite. grocery runs? <laughs> yeah, it's called Old Enough. I highly recommend it because the episodes are only like 10 minutes. And so my wife and I will often just watch them while we're having lunch or something. It's just basically a, a small child, like four or five, sometimes even younger, like two or three is given a task to do, like go to the grocery store and get this one ingredient for their parent. And then they walk and do it and come back home. And that's the whole episode. And it's great. <laughs> and, and sometimes there's like little conflicts of like, will they cross the street? Or like, will they remember what they were supposed to get or something? But it's like this crazy alien world that's totally different than America where like kids can actually walk to the grocery store at age mm. three and be safe doing that. So I highly recommend that as a uh, <laughs> show about walkability. Anyway, I I also got a lot of stuff about, you know, people who lived in England. There was a friend of mine who lives in Oxford named Barnaby. He said, uh, you know, everything is max 40-minute walk away from me, basically. We have a friend named Caleb Woodbridge who was the uh, executive director. That might not be the right title. Something director, publishing director, I think, of IVP Publishing. Um, And he now has moved to Roth Cardiff with his family, which is somewhere that he lived as a student and he had desired for many years to go back there because he remembered how walkable it was back when he lived there when he was young. And then uh, also a couple people said Notre Dame uh, in Montreal, Canada. 
someone said Savannah's Midtown, which I love. I love Savannah, Georgia. In Georgia, yeah. Yeah. And then we did get one response on the uh, Substack thread to which someone said that they currently live in Guildford, Surrey in the UK, where everything is about a 15 minute walk or even less on a bike away mm. from them. So that was cool to hear. And then there were some other responses of people being like, yeah, no, uh, I can't walk anywhere. <laughs> the One of the other answers that I got was Greenville. Greenville is a city that I visited just a couple years ago and I was blown away by Greenville, South Carolina. Mm. And that's actually a great example of a city that you you know, plays into what you were talking about, about the idea that change is at least somewhat possible in American cities. I think there's several books about it if anybody wants to read about it, but it's it's basically a city that wasn't great for many years. And then around the 90s or early 2000s, they were like, let's just make this good now. <laughs> it was as simple as that. And, they, and now it's good. And now it's good. They they added a bunch of bike trails. There's a beautiful park in the center of the city. They kind of accentuated its natural features. It has this beautiful river that runs through the city that for decades was kind of covered by an ugly bridge and you couldn't even see the river. And now they've built one of the largest suspension bridges in the world that goes above it. And so it's this beautiful view and has a waterfall that was totally covered up before that now you can see. And now it's a beautiful park in the middle mm. and wonderful bike trails and shops and mixed use buildings. And so when I went there a few years ago, I was like totally blown away. And I was like, I didn't know an American city could be good like this. This is so great. So yeah, anyway, that was an answer that a few people gave as well. I think you may have some more philosophical responses. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I was just thinking again about the idea of building our infrastructure and our structures themselves in a way that is more in tandem with or in harmony with the land that we're on versus mm. in contrast to it. And I'm not going to go into that right now because we have a whole episode dedicated to the power of place. <laughs> Was that episode two of the podcast? So you can go listen to that uh, after uh, after this and, and explore more of the that idea. Um, but yeah, I, you know, some of it is I, uh, Twitter's a, a different social media than Facebook and Instagram and nobody in, engages with my stuff on Twitter. You know, like Twitter's a place where you can just be like, What's the most walkable place? But if you do that on Facebook, people are like, what is wrong with you? This is such a weird question. You know, like it just feels out of place. So some of the reason I asked a different question was just like, I want to ask a question that I'm genuinely curious about, not just to generate, you know, content for the podcast, but also one that makes sense that I would be asking uh, in, in a general sense. And so the, basically I just asked, what does it mean to have good and healthy friendships and why is it so hard to come, come by them? Um, obviously I'm making an assumption there, but I think the general consensus that I've heard from other people and that I've experienced is that good and healthy friendships are difficult to foster and maintain. Whether that's unique to this time or not, it is just a reality that I think a lot of us are living with. And admittedly, there's a little bit of me that wanted to see, does walkability come up? Does mm. proximity come up? And Yes and no. There was definitely sort of a, a lot of different answers that aren't particularly relevant to our podcast, but I think, or to this episode rather, but I think are relevant to the overall podcast and the overall conversation about community. Um, I did get one that was like much easier when living in communal spaces. And so, you know, that, and that was sort of, I was wondering if that answer would come up of like, all right, communal living spaces, being around each other. Um, and then I had another friend respond to that and was like, uh, until it gets too culty. Um, and so that, you know, I was sort of asking this question of, okay, you have these two extremes of this kind of extreme individualism, this car dependence, you know, completely isolated from your neighbors. You only ever see anybody online kind of a thing. And even that's not terribly deep, you know, it's just 
you know, mm. liking pictures of each other's pets and plants and kids and whatever. And then you have this other end of the spectrum, which I think is usually held up as kind of this, this is why we don't do this, is kind of actual communal living where you're all living in this kind of large commune complex. And then we all think of those big, you know, sensationalized stories of drinking the Kool-Aid and all this crazy cult-ish things that end up happening where it becomes very ingrown. And so it's like, well, obviously we're not advocating for that um, either. And so, but it is this question of, okay, just because there's these extreme versions of these things um, doesn't mean that there isn't a healthy balance between them and that maybe mm. we, as a society, do need to move more toward communal living. Um, and then there was this interesting kind of interchange between multiple people kind of evaluating different aspects of what what does it mean to have a healthy, what, what, what is necessary for a healthy relationship? Mm. There were actually a couple of answers that were really great about shared experiences. And so my friend Norma said that shared experiences are a core aspect, that they, they can be current or mm. previous experiences, like how people can bond over shared trauma so easily, or with coworkers who might not share political opinions. And I was actually hoping the coworker thing would come up as well, because that's one of those places where... Because uh, I think we had even talked about asking the question, have you ever been uh, in a place where you become friends with someone that you would never have been friends with otherwise, other than the fact that you see them all the time? Mm. And so coworkers is a perfect example of that where, and, and maybe friends is a bit generous depending on your coworking situ situation, but it is a little bit of a, you develop a relationship with someone who is just not the same as you, might even have different political beliefs. But because of that regularity, then on some level, you can't let the, the relationship erode too much because that's going to create a, a problem in, in the workplace. Um, but it does actually allow you to kind of, if you're paying attention and, and if you lean into it, to, to get to know someone who is very different from you. And I, you know, we'll maybe talk about that in a minute as far as the value of proximal living, of being near each other, is that you actually engage with people who are different from you in a more uh, consistent and organic way. My friend Brandon also had a really great comment that he said, I don't think ideological sim similarity matters so much as a shared project. I don't think ideology needs to be shared or even space sometimes. So I don't see it as an either or, but I do think sharing some kind of project, for instance, if you share a political project that each of you pursues, or but you have different ideological ideas about how to achieve making that the project of reality in the world, I think that's more powerful than any ideology. Solidarity, in other words. I think there's a little bit of this, like, is it one of these things? No, it's kind of a combo of all of these things. Mm -hmm. We're not saying that just being in proximity to someone yeah. is automatically going to generate these great relationships. But uh, I do think it does help a lot and, and is something that maybe is worth cultivating and something that we've uh, lost touch with. Um, well, that's something that we talked about in that first episode, that, you know, there was that community that was being built near me mm, mm -hmm. that is walkable and is great, but still is struggling actually with, with having any semblance of community. And so there is an element of like, I think that matters so much. Mm -hmm. I really like what they're doing with it, but also there's more required. There's, there's right. vulnerability required. There's all the things that we talked about in that episode. So it, it's more than just walkability, but also walkability can set the stage, I think, in yeah. a way that is helpful. Well, and it's like it's like watering your plants. It's not the plant itself, but it, boy, does it help to water. You know, boy, does it help to, to cultivate and to nurture in ways that plants uh, are best suited for growth. Mm. Uh, another, uh, my niece, actually, Madison, she said, making time for one another, being present without distractions and listening as an answer to what, what sort of how do you facilitate healthy friendships? And I think that's a great way to, f to understand proximity without necessarily 
it being physical proximity. Mm-hmm. That part of what we're talking about with well, at least what I what I mean by proximity is just nearness to someone, presence mm-hmm. with someone. And I think uh, you can actually do this online. Um, this is something I'm starting to shift a little bit on. You know, mm-hmm. generally most of the days, I know I've said this. I think I've said it before <laughs> on the podcast even uh, that I'm like the internet is terrible every time, all the time. No if ands or buts. It'd be um, funny if you then, and I swap swap roles by the end of this yeah, podcast. Yeah, slowly. Yeah, <laughs> I become anti-internet and you become pro-internet. Exactly. That's the, we're trying to learn and grow here. Um, <laughs> but I even you know I in the context of this online conversation, I was admitting because some of the conversation got into uh, social media being a prime factor in the sort of degradation of relationship and the difficulty of building relationships. But I was being a little bit uh, counter to my normal sort of self and personality and saying maybe maybe social media can have a place because look at this conversation, mm. this conversation with these people, uh, some of these people I don't regularly interact with. but And so I think, again, for me, I'm starting to realize like, like walkability is so great. It's so valuable. I want more of it. Especially, you know, you talk about having children. Definitely walkability goes way up on the scale when you have kids. If for nothing else, then I'm like, I want to be able to go to the library with my kids in the summer and not be constantly under threat of being hit by a car or constantly having (laughs) to cross freeways or whatever. Um, And there's just one road that we have to get across uh, that I wish we at least had like a sort of flashing light to allow us to cross. Mm. It's hard to get across it. But once you're across it, then the kids can run on the sidewalk and it's it's a really quiet and safe neighborhood um, for kids to, to wander. And then you can get to everything, the library and coffee shop and all that. But I think proximity... Uh, is more just being in physical proximity does not generate relationship. And just because you don't have physical proximity does not mean you can't cultivate those things. Um, Mm. I think sort of call it spiritual or emotional, mental proximity uh, is actually more of a core uh, aspect of that, of just being present, not in a way where you're trying to get something out of the other person or you're trying to manipulate the situation or you're just trying to get them to agree with you on something. Um, But like Madison said, it's like it's genuinely listening to each other, being present without distractions. Um, and and that can't, you know, I, I think that's the, the spirit of that is um, what is going to generate these healthy relationships more than the, the physical proximity. But then again, it does help a lot. Because again, I don't talk to a lot of these people and I'm like, I'd probably be good friends, you know, regularly seeing these people if we lived in the same community. And I haven't talked to some of these people for years. And so there is something to the fact that when mm. we're not physically near each other, you can't maintain those relationships in the same way. So I'm kind of saying the opposite things. I'm saying proximity or physical proximity is essential and also not essential. <laughs> but I think mm. it's just trying to understand and explore, like it's not going to make your relationships good, but it is a very valuable tool and resource that helps expedite that process. Um, mm. Because if for nothing else, uh, proximity matters because relationships take time. And when you're in proximity to each other, that time shortens a little bit because each time you connect, you know, like college is a great, like everybody becomes really good friends and then you don't live together anymore. And then suddenly it's really hard to maintain those friendships. So Mm -hmm. it's like the proximity matters in a physical sense, but in in, in just a general sense, because relationships take time. Anybody who says anything different is selling something. Well, and I think that's, yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on that because I think there is an element of, one thing that Debbie and I have found as we've been married and have been around people in Nashville and also people in Atlanta, people in America in general, even people in Czech Republic to some extent, 
there has been an element of like you become an adult. I think everyone knows this kind of stereotype. You become an adult and then you, you don't see your friends anymore. <laughs> it's like, oh, we'll we'll put a date on the calendar and we'll hang out in three months and then it won't actually happen because one of us had to reschedule and then it doesn't happen, right? And so there's an element of like, to even have community, to even see your friends, you have to schedule things in advance and like mm. plan a time and then find a place that you can meet, like a coffee shop or a restaurant or an activity and then drive to that place. And, and there's this sort of scheduled, planned, prescriptive, programmatic mm. nature to it that is sometimes fine. Like, you know, sometimes those things are can be fun and, and it's fun to plan something and do something. But it lacks that sort of day-to-day lived-in experience that you have with people that you actually, you know, come to care about deeply, usually, mm. and and lacks that kind of sense of spontaneity and moments in between, right? Like That's something to bring up Labrie again, right? But also to bring up maybe college and, and other, you know, examples of places where you live with other people for an extended time. You get these in-between moments where, you know, you're walking and then someone just happens to be sitting out on the bench and then you see them and end up having a conversation with them. Or you happen to see them in the library or you happen to see them walking, you know, somewhere nearby. And so there's this element of like, you didn't have to plan that. And I think, yeah, that that's one of the most demotivating things about community in the modern era for adults who are out of school is like you just have to plan all of your social interaction in, in advance and it doesn't feel natural or relational or human, you know? And so that's something that I think is is lacking in a major way. And, and I also think it's interesting, I've talked about this on my YouTube channel with my video about theme park walkability. Like that's a long story. That's a whole thing where I think that theme parks are actually a great example of walkability, especially Disney parks are like really well-designed places that are meant for the, the, the walking (laughs) urban human, like not for a car, which is why they're so appealing. But I also think it's interesting that like the experiences that Americans tend to idolize and idealize are the college experience, Disney world, the summer camp experience, and like summer vacation at a beach town. And all of those things have one thing in common, which is it tends to be a place that you're able to walk more and that you live closer to other people. When you go to the beach, a lot of people ride their bikes at beaches and end up walking on the beach together and sort of spending a lot more time in close proximity. College obviously is that, you know, it's the same thing as Labrie, right? It's like being able to live in close proximity with other people with decent public transit and a shared day-to-day lived-in experience and a place that has been designed for the walker, not for the driver. Disney World is the exact same way. Summer Camp is the exact same way. And so I think it's interesting that, like, you know, we can talk about, oh, America is, you know, it's ruined. It's like everyone's just, you know, the car has become an idol and, and society is, you know, just worships car dependence and that sort of thing. And sometimes I do feel that way. But I also think that stuff like that proves that we do kind of want this. We just don't know how to make it reality in in our normal life. And if you look at someplace like Europe, like that that was the thing that kind of prompted my video many months of, months ago about theme parks was that Europeans don't really idealize Disney World or the college experience to the extent that Americans do because it's not such a crazy change of pace for them. And so there is an element of like, I think we idealize this because it's something that we we normally don't have in our lives. And 
that maybe proves that we should figure out how to have it more, you know, and, and maybe some of that is a little bit idealistic. Again, I, I don't want uh, on this podcast, I don't want to be like, oh, we should just live at college all the time. We should live at Disney World all the time. Like, I think, you know, you and I really want, we have a passion for practical, you know, talking about what this looks like in the real world. Mm -hmm. But I think that it's compelling to know at least that the desire is there. And also to know that, like, I think this is how humans are meant to develop relationship. Like, it's really, really hard and really, really lonely to only be able to further relationships with other people through planning things in advance and planning, mm. you know, making a date, making an appointment, even when it comes to romantic relationships, right? Like that's, that's what the dating world is like now. You have to make a date in advance and go to the date versus I think that a lot of people who have really strong marriages and strong partnerships, not everybody, obviously, but a lot of people met their partner at a place that they were sharing life together, like college or like work, at a place that they were really seeing each other day in and day out and didn't have to plan a bunch of things to make the romance happen mm, in advance. Mm -hmm. Same thing with friendships, same thing with with other relationships. And so, yeah, I, I think it it matters. I don't think it's the only thing that matters, but I do think that it it's at the core of a lot of things that we're struggling with in today's mm. world and people don't really always know to pinpoint it as such. Yeah, I think this would be a good point to just quote uh, my friend Alyssa. Again, this is a, a friend from college who just weighed in on this conversation of uh, what does it mean to develop healthy relationships? And I think there's a number of things that are very resonant for me. She and her husband, they they have three little kids, similar ages to, to my three children. And they also live in a small town, just like I do. And so I think there's a lot here that, uh, a lot of wisdom that I think actually gets at both of the things that I was just talking about earlier, of like the value of physical proximity and then the value of showing up and being present. This is what she says. I feel like it's just been this year for me that I've been able to cultivate deeper and healthier friendships. That's for many reasons, but honestly, it took me being the kind of friend I wanted, cliche, I know, and also getting past the insecure feelings of what they might think of me, reaching out to see how they are doing, being the one to invite for coffee, sharing how I'm actually doing, sharing struggles, praying for them without asking, uh, without them asking, asking intentional questions. I actually had someone do this for me, so my confidence in doing it to make friends with others has increased because I felt cared for and valued by her enough so that I didn't care how I was being perceived, just that I wanted them to feel how I felt. It has been a long journey to finding friends here in my small town. I honestly credit my new way of doing things to a friend who sought me out. I'm pretty introverted and she is a full-on extrovert. She pulled me out of my comfort zone and I realized I didn't have to do life alone. Her and her husband have come over and prayed over our family when we were struggling with things and she has always been con uh, consistent with checking in. And I know how much that has benefited me. It's been such a joy to extend that to others. And I feel like I'm just getting this newfound community established. It feels good. Hmm. And this is a family too that I think similarly to us has lived in their small town for probably seven, eight. Uh, I think they've lived there longer than we've lived here. So, uh, you know, eight, nine years. And I, uh, very resonant for me of like, it's taken that long for me to start to feel like I have a community. And I think it's a both and. It's a... There does ha just at some point, somebody has to make the first step. Somebody just has to be like, you know what? 
I'm going to be awkward. I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to do all the things that we don't like. But what I love about this answer is that that then lent itself to much more natural overlap of stopping in and being around each other. And uh, and then what I loved about her answer too is in that sort of sparked in her the ability to do that for other people. And so that's some of the beauty of community uh, is and why proximity matters in all of those senses is that we actually feed off of each other. We actually uh, are strengthened and, and able to better serve each other when we're being served at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so I think that some of it is like, we're so used to thinking in an individual way and on some level it takes an individual to break that pattern. But once you start to work in some of those spaces, it's like actual good community is communal. It's actually multiple people providing that, the you know, the friendships. And so then you don't need just one person to carry all of your emotional baggage or solve all of your problems or be the one, you know, it's like not all of my friends know how to fix a faucet, but if a couple of them do, then I can have them come over and uh, help me with stuff that I'm not good at. And some of that is just over, you know, over time and through a lot of different people coming together uh, is is what a community is. I know it's, again, it's a cliche thing, right? But I think it's it's very true. And mm. And so I, I, I think there is both this both and of being near people in a literal sense, but also being near people in a spiritual sense, in a internal sense of I'm here, um, I'm not here to get something out of you, but I want you to experience love. Yeah, I feel like I could just do a whole podcast just on that component alone, and maybe we'll, we'll chat more, I'm sure, about it in future episodes. But I just felt like that was a great way to articulate just kind of all of these com- complexities of proximal living. So I don't know if uh, you have more thoughts on that. I feel like maybe the, uh, you know we can land the plane around here. Um, yeah, I'll let yeah. you have some thoughts, and then I, you know, we, <laughs> I'd love to get some more people giving input to this conversation as well. Yes. Yeah, I think it's good to wrap up here too. And again, I feel like, I think a lot of this season is us kind of just proposing a bunch of things that we care about and sort of problems that we see in the world and then kind of vague solutions that we have. Yeah. (laughs) And not a lot of practical uh, kind of help for people. But I also think that First of all, I think it's valuable to talk about these things even without practical solutions, Mm. but I also want to be able to talk in a more practical way. I was thinking a lot this week about where we should go next with the podcast, and this is something that I would love to have listeners' feedback about. You and I have been talking about should we have guests on at some point? Mm. Because I think in some ways, you know, you and I are talking about a bunch of things that we are not experts on at all, Mm. and it might be helpful to finally start having some expert people talk about this stuff in ways that we could not speak to it, in ways that would be helpful for us, but also helpful for the listeners to to hear someone who actually knows what they're talking about (laughs) with some of these themes. And so my idea has actually been that we finish this season, maybe like six or eight episodes, something like that. And we kind of have, have put all of these different themes and ideas in the water. And then season two would be like, we, we do follow-ups to each of the episodes from this first season with a guest that speaks specifically into that topic. So like episode one of this season was about the power of place. And we have someone talk about that who is smarter than us. And, you know, episode whatever, two was about, you know, Imagineers and Inklings and creative collaboration. We have someone who's smarter than us come talk about that. And so I don't know if that sounds good to people as like a an outline for the next season. Maybe that would be too much guests, right? Like that kind of plan has it as like, 
season one is just you and me talking and then season two is just us having guests on. Maybe that would be exhausting for people. I don't know. Maybe we should start having guests on during this season. But um, yeah, I'd love to have people's thoughts on that mm. as we go forward. There will be a Substack discussion thread on the Substack website, artwithin.substack.com. You can also send in audio messages and we will play them on the show. That's speakpipe.com slash artwithinpod. And then we are also available on social media, which is in the description of this episode. So I think that's pretty much it. Yeah. Right? And uh, you may have picked up as a listener on this uh, podcast that we really, really do love reading other people's comments and engaging mm. a larger community of voices, yes. yeah. um, regardless of how, quote unquote, of an expert uh, we might be on a given topic. And so definitely, you know, we're, we keep promoting this, not because we're just trying to build up a podcast here, but we actually, mm. there's, you know, like my friend Alyssa here, I'm like, that's just so much wisdom that I can't come up with by myself mm. and, and seeing my story and other people's stories. And so we very do, we very much want this uh, podcast to be a, a larger conversation mm. and, and ultimately, hopefully even a community of people who are regularly engaging with each other. Uh, and so definitely reach out, uh, We've answered critiques before <laughs> on the podcast. So even if it's a, have you thought about this aspect? I'm mindful of, I live in an area where cars are uh, very valued. Um, <laughs> sort of the old cars, muscle cars, mm. historic cars, we have car shows. And so I don't, I don't want to be uh, fully dismissive of the value of cars as, I mean, I think there's, they're beautiful. Cars are awesome. Uh, yeah. Modern engineering, and there's lots of really fun and interesting things uh, about cars and the history of cars. And so uh, I want to I hear from somebody who has a positive take on cars and the value of cars. And, and I believe that there are people who are experiencing some really cool things in community around cars. So I don't want us to just be all you know negative about everything. Um, and so definitely, if you have additional thoughts on this particular topic, uh, as we've indicated earlier in this episode, we often ask questions in preparation for the next episode. Mm -hmm. And so lots of different ways to be involved in the conversation and to help us shape our understanding uh, of what the conversation is and, and some practical ways forward as we seek to develop a community in the digital age. So thank you everybody for tuning in again this week and we will see you or hear you next week. And thanks. See ya. Thanks.